So if you've been with us for the last few weeks or even months now, uh, you'll know we're going through a series of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a, it's a large body of Jesus' teachings and it's really practical. And we've dealt with uh, light issues like anger and adultery and uh, divorce and oaths. And, you know, the whole kind of like love your enemies and don't retaliate. And um, at chapter six, which is where we're up to um, tonight, it kind of pivots a little bit. And it kind of comes more towards the kind of necessary underlying attitudes um, of those principles. So like giving and generosity. And today we're kind of teasing out a little bit what it means um, to do for, for prayer and for fasting. So I'm just going to dive straight in. We're going to read uh, starting Matthew 6, verse 5 to 18. Uh, and Jesus says this, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and to your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your presence with us tonight, Father, and we are hungry for more of your presence, God. We acknowledge our need of you. And so, Father, we just want to say this, this evening that we are open to your wisdom, Lord. We need your conviction, Lord. We need the touch of your power. So, Father, we just pray, Lord, that we would receive what you have for us tonight. Lord, give us the faith to believe that you speak and that we can hear. Amen. And so, a, a, a bit of background. Uh, you know, prayer was a big fixture in the Jewish life and they committed prayers to memory. And they recited them at various times through the day. And some of these prayers were, some of them, they prayed them in kind of uh, personal, quietly, privately. And others, by the sounds of it, were doing it much more in the public spectacle and like, you know, babbling on street corners. And Jesus goes on, he highlights the same kind of stuff with fasting. Because they looked gaunt and they made themselves look miserable in order to make sure everybody knew they were fasting and to draw attention to themselves. They wanted to be seen. And Jesus uses the word hypocrite, which in Greek basically means an actor. An actor on stage, striving for applause, looking for congratulation. Now Jesus wasn't condemning public prayer or expression of spirituality in a gathered setting. He wasn't doing that. 
but he was questioning the authenticity and the motivation. In reality, they had the appearance of directing their prayers at God, and yet in reality, they were directing them at those who were watching. Their outward expression of spirituality was not reflective of their inward reality. Now, chanting outside Sainsbury's, the Lord's Prayer, I've only ever seen Andy do it, but it's, and it doesn't do much for his reputation. It gets you on certain lists. Well, in fact, the youth told me, what do you say about being funny? You can't, shouldn't try and be funny. I think that's what you told me like an hour ago. I said I make it awkward instead. Um, so I've just done that. But, back to seriousness. But how many of us do pretend to be more spiritual or more sorted than we really are? How many, of, how many of us, if we're honest, are actually, we are more preoccupied with what people think of us sometimes than we are about God, if push came to shove? It's really easy. I mean, it's not so easy today because God was so evidently here, but it's very easy to get carried along in the motions and almost give God a sense of lip service. But actually, on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday afternoon, we offer, actually, we offer God very little uh, thought. Nancy Mayer said this, she said, who one believes God to be is most accurately revealed, not in any credo, which is kind of a stated belief, but in the way one speaks to God when no one else is listening. What does the way you speak to God reveal about who you believe God to be? Maybe it's formal, maybe it's awkward. Maybe in reality it feels more like strangers. Maybe it's actually one way. It feels like it's one way. And you're questioning whether actually is he even there at all. And in reality, maybe we don't see the point and maybe we're pretty disinterested. How would you describe it? Because who you believe God to be is so important. We cannot leave that question unanswered. And Jesus goes on and he says, instead he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray. And the, the, the Greek word for room here is tamayon. And it's a, it's, it kind of is like a secret room or a secret chamber, kind of an inner room. And it's puzzled commentators for a while because um, most Jewish homes in first century only had one room. So there was no closet. There was no secret imaginary chamber. And in mo it's most likely that Jesus was using a figure of speech. That he was saying, it's an imaginary room, it's an inner place, a place in our hearts that most like fosters complete honesty before God. And you see, God's not angry. His demand to go into your room, figuratively speaking, he's not angry or he's annoyed. He's not insecure about needing our attention. But when we can't fully escape our self-consciousness from those around us, whether it's self-promotion or it's actually a bit of pride or actually shame. I think a lot of us feel very ashamed in a crowd. It has comp he has competition for our attention and our focus. Now, I'm not saying we can't, like I say, we're not saying we can't experience God in the gathered. Like, it, this, this, it's already, we've encountered God. But there's no doubt about it. We've got to figure out how to experience God away from this place. 
Because see, more than anything, Jesus' plea is to stop pretending. Stop hiding. Stop looking at everybody else. All those distractions that keep your heart from me. More than anything, see, God is, God is wanting relationship. He's wanting relationship. He's longing for it. And the greatest privilege we have as Christians is to pray. Prayer is the greatest privilege we've got. Because you see, the whole point of the gospel is that you get God. Everything good about the gospel, forgiveness of sin, being made righteous, even eternal life itself, they're just mechanics of the process. There's an, the overarching whole point of that is that you get God. And Jesus prayed, he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. Jesus died so that you could know God. That you could know him, that you could experience that tangible closeness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And everything Jesus did, his living the perfect life, his dying the unjust death, he did with an overarching purpose and motivation that you could be his friend. And prayer is the absolute pinnacle. Quite honestly, if we're Christians, the rational question is, what are we, do, what are we doing if we're not into prayer? It's like winning the lottery and not claiming your winnings. Or finding you've been left a huge inheritance and saying, thanks, but no thanks. Prayer is enjoying that inheritance. And that is... We're all gathered here because we say we want to follow Jesus. We believe in him for, for, for dealing with our sin and newness of life. The only logical consequence of living in that is to be God's friend and to figure out what it is to commune with God in prayer. And actually, when, when we look at it like that, it's ridiculous that we don't pray. It's irrational. It's actually just stupid and why do we struggle with prayer as much as we do in that case? Given how obvious it seems. You see, the last thing the devil wants you to do is to pray. And we are the weakest link. The Bible says that death could not hold Jesus. Satan was powerless to stop him. And Jesus has made everything possible. God's done his bit. So instead, he goes after us. And he uses every tactic that are doubting his presence, a sense of irrelevance or indifference, boredom, a reminding us of all the disappointments or the unanswered prayers that apparently should have worked. But whatever it is, the tragedy is that in stopping us praying, it's like us falling at the final hurdle. And we miss out on the life and the joy that separate you know, the, the whole thing of being separated from the source of life. And only the presence of God can satisfy your heart. Nothing else. Only the presence of God. Pete Gregg said this, he said, in God's kingdom, happiness is marked out by proximity to the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but I miss Christmas. I don't get excited about Christmas anymore. I've got nephews and nieces who get very excited about Christmas. Weeks before, on the day they're buzzing, that joy of Christmas morning. And I can remember what it felt, a little bit of what it felt like. 
And I almost grieve that I don't feel that anymore. But I can say that knowing God in my heart, I, have, I do have those moments of what it's like to feel like Christmas. Not all the time, but moments. Even just this evening. I, I'm like, if I open my eyes, I'll be crying. I wish I was a, a Holy Spirit laugher and I'm not. I'm just a weeper and I make, make, look like a right mess. But that is the most soul-satisfying place we can ever be. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of the most repeated words from scripture that probably exist. And you see, most of prayer is stopping and remembering. We pray to remember how big God is and how small we are in relation. We remember the greatness of heaven. Prayer is waiting. Prayer is beholding. And Jesus tells us to pray because we're so forgetful. And there are so many ways of doing that. He's made each of us so different. He's pretty much said, I want to spend time with you. I died that you, I sent my son that you could be my friend. What should we do? So we can read, we can write, we can listen to music. You know, I do find listening to worship music kind of carries me. Somebody else's praise carries me into a place of intimacy with God. We can sit in silence. We can go to pretentious coffee shops. You know, whatever we've got to do to remove distractions from our heart and create fertile environments where we can encounter the presence of God. Now, there's a discipline to it. You know, we need to put our feet in a position to make that possible. It's a, it's a, it's a marriage of will and, and, and you know, of, of will and body. You know, like, we've, we get sensible about this stuff. You know, and personally, like, I just find I really enjoy words. I love writing and for like probably decades now, I've always written because that's where I encounter God. And I literally, I open my journal and I just write whatever I feel. If I've had a good day, I've had a good day. If I've had a bad day, a bad day. If I'm pondering something, I ponder. If I'm anxious, I write the same thing I wrote the week before. He doesn't care if I repeat myself. But then what do I do? I get another pen, and often a different color. I literally double quote, James comma and I write whatever I imagine God might say to me it doesn't matter if you get it wrong because no one's going to read it and he is just delighted that I want to hear his voice and he wants friendship with me and what I've found over 20 odd years of speculating what God might say to me given what I've told him that you get that the prophetic is profound that God does speak and actually he takes you in your imagination to places of glory and of beauty which are utterly undescribable. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And it can almost seem a little strange, almost contradictory because actually if we look three verses before-ish, he said, Jesus said, don't babble because your father knows what you need before you ask him. Which begs the question, well, why bother? 
You said don't ask, and then three verses later you've taught us to pray and ask for these things. You see, prayer isn't about twisting God's arm or to make our lives easier or to gain some magical powers. God needs us to know our need of him. He knows we're weak, but he needs us to know that. Norwegian theologian Ole Aylesbury settled on the single word helplessness as the best summary of a heart attitude that God accepts as prayer. And he said this, he said, whether it takes a form of words or not does not mean anything to God, only to ourselves. Then he says crucially, only he who is helpless can truly pray. And you see, some of us react to this notion of neediness and helplessness and it makes us feel really uncomfortable. But the reason you don't pray is because you don't feel helpless enough. We don't feel the need to because we're pretty competent ourselves. We're kind of doing life okay, thanks. But that lack of felt need and helplessness are the absolute obstacles and they're robbing us of the greatest gift and intimacy with Jesus. Do you know your need? Or do you actually feel you're doing okay? How would you feel if your thoughts were exposed above your head for everyone to see? Do you think you'd pray then? I would. I'd like, God, please change my heart, quick. Please. But because it's internal, not external, we, we, we actually are like, well, look, everyone, from the outside I look pseudo-spiritual. I seem like I've vaguely got it together. I'm doing okay. I don't need you, God. And it's utter nonsense. And actually, is that really that different to babbling on street corners? Thinking that we've actually got it all together, but in reality, we haven't. For me, I actually find, um, if you're doing a wee, didn't think I was going to say that, did you? I'm going to, I'll use the polite term. Um, but for me, I've made a practice of, I haven't made a practice, it's just, it's, this is not redeemable. But I stand there, and I am aware that I am me, that God is God, and actually my prayer is nothing more than conscious acknowledgement. And often, if I'm at work, it's because I'm angry internally with code or people, or both. And actually, it's me saying, God, I need help. It doesn't take many words, it's not eloquent, but it's just literally a consciousness of I'm here, you're here, and I need you. Jesus' issue was with pretense. His criticism was that those were so preoccupied with what everybody else thought of them, faking it even to themselves. And they were unavailable to God because of that pretense. And pretense is tragic because it's a huge separating effect. And it's tragic given all that Jesus did to close that gap. You see, prayer invites us into a place of vulnerability where God meets us gently, where he draws us out and he says it's safe to come out of hiding. Philip Yancey said this, he said, self-exposure is never easy, but when I do, I learn that underneath the layers of grime 
lies a damaged work of art that God longs to repair. See, prayer is where we get healed. Prayer is where we meet love, capital L. And there is a tangible joy that only the living presence of God can bring to bear on a human heart. That place where we can bring our wounds and our shame and we find it's okay. A place where we bring our repeated failures and we find kindness and grace. And there is a tangible exhilaration of experiencing love despite yourself. And a peace that only comes by receiving that. This isn't just head knowledge. This is a tangible experience of the presence of God. And there is beauty in our imaginations. We make imagination out to be child's play. Or they grow out of that. That's what five-year-olds do. They imagine things. Then you become an adult and you just operate in the real world. And I've, I am utterly convinced that's utter nonsense. And actually, God calls us to spiritual imagination because he meets us in our imaginations. And I, I think most, a lot of us will know what I'm talking about. Some of us, some of you are probably looking at me going, what have you taken? But there is, I'm not kidding. If you submit yourself to the revelation and the spirit of God, he will take you to places of beauty and imagination that will satisfy your soul in ways that will probably just make you weep. And as we finish, uh, the band are just gonna uh, come up. And I was praying yesterday about, um, okay God, what, what, what have you got for us tonight? And, he, and I was reminded of that bit in uh, the gospel where Jesus encountered Bartimaeus, the blind man. And it says he kept crying out and, and, and he got taken over to Jesus and Jesus asked him this question. He said, what do you want to do, me to do for you? And his response was, Rabbi, I want to see. You see, we need theology. We need the right information. That's why we've got scripture. But theology and information is not necessary to fully understand truth because the truth of who God is, is relational. And that relational thing is prayer. Knowing God only comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And revelation leaves you in no doubt that you have encountered the living God. Revelation isn't something that you can, it's, 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 it's got to be received fully. Revelation is not something you can be smart enough to get. It's something that is a free gift when we surrender ourselves and say, God, I'm empty, I'm helpless, I need you, I want to see. And for some of us, we feel outside of that revelation. Some of us, we look and think, actually, I don't know if I've encountered God in a, in a tangible way that I could absolutely articulate with no doubt, I have met God. And yet, if you can't say that tonight, we haven't all fully walked in the fullness of the gospel. Because the whole reason Jesus lived and he died was that you could know that without a shadow of a doubt that you've encountered him. 
And others of us are so preoccupied with what people think of us. Our hearts are so cluttered that there's so little freedom that we're always looking over our shoulder that we can't focus on the source of light which offers us such incredible freedom. And Jesus asked us tonight, what do you want me to do for you? How do we answer, Rabbi, I want to see? What do you want him to open your eyes more to? Is it the sufficiency of his grace? That everything you've done, everything you repeatedly do is covered by the grace and the blood of Christ. That there is utter freedom. Do you want that revelation of the Holy Spirit? God, I don't want any doubt. I want to experience you in your fullness. I want to know what my heart has been longing for. You may have been around church far too long and you've never fully known the exhilaration of knowing an intimacy and a closeness with God that's right here on offer. So why don't we all just stand and why don't we just shut our eyes and uh, if you feel comfortable, let's, let's uh, hold out our hands and shut our eyes. And, and we say tonight, Father, we are available to you. Father, we are longing for a greater revelation of you. We are longing for our hearts to know that place of deep satisfaction in in drinking from the fountain of life. And Father, right now, God, we ask that you would be putting spiritual imagination in minds. That you'd be releasing freedom. That you'd be releasing intimacy, friendship with God. wait on you tonight we want to encounter you again Father we are sorry where we've made it about us be it pride or shame or embarrassment we're sorry where we've come to expect nothing of you Father we're sorry where we devalued prayer so badly that we think it irrelevant and Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up consciously to your power now. We acknowledge that you know our names. We acknowledge that you know our weaknesses. We acknowledge our helplessness gladly. Father, we want to receive everything that you have for us. We want to see every word that you've got for us. And God is speaking right now. He's taking you places in your minds. He is leading you by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some weird out there external thing. He's an internal answering partner that reminds you of truth. He sounds like you in many ways. Let that voice speak the truth of your heart right now that you need to hear because He's got something new.
as we're in this place and we're going to just carry on with worship in a different way in a minute if there are any of you tonight who actually are doubting that they've received that full revelation of the Holy Spirit we really want to pray tonight and in the New Testament it's really clear that, 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 that they lay on of hands is really significant and I can say this from personal experience that there is some God can meet us like we are right now standing in his presence consciously open to his presence but there is something incredibly powerful when we submit ourselves and say God I want you to use another human agent to be the delivery of that power that's what they practiced in the New Testament that is there is something significant when we swallow our pretense and our pride when we say God all I really want to do is is needing you more so we want to pray for you tonight so the prayer team are going to be over to your left my right or behind you and we want to lay on hands and we want, to, we want to pray for the revelation of the Holy Spirit so that you are in no doubt that you have encountered the living God for you. We do not want to be a church who fall at the final hurdle given that all that Jesus has done for us and all that he's made possible. 